easy if we're not thinking about the entire context of this narrative of Joseph to think that Joseph's vetting of his brothers, Joseph's concealing of his identity when they first came to Egypt, that that was done with some kind of ill will. But we need to be reminded again that Joseph was never trying to take vengeance on them. He was simply trying to prove them to ensure the welfare of his father and his younger brother Benjamin. Remember the last time he saw them, they were selling him into uh, to a, a band of Ishmaelites to be sold as a slave into Egypt. And so he's trying to assure himself and make sure that their intentions are pure and that their father, his father, their younger brother, his younger brother Benjamin, that they are well. And so during this time, his love for his father, his love for his younger brother, and even his love and his care for them continues to build and to stir within him And after he sees Judah, and here's Judah in chapter 44, pour himself out, asking for some level of mercy, and not keeping Benjamin prisoner, and allow and sparing his father the grief of losing another son. After he hears that plea, the emotion, and the compassion, and the passion for his family, it spills out of him. And it says in verse number one that he cries meaning he calls out in a loud voice as the tears begin to flow, causing every person that was there to go out so he can make himself known to his brothers. Now this moment was, is beyond description. There's the tangible excitement and passion of Joseph for his brothers. You'll get verse 2, he weeps aloud. And that is known by those around him. In verse 3, he says unto his brothers, I'm Joseph, doth my father yet live? And so he, all of this has been building up and he's finally able to release it and to tell them what is going on. And he's excited and he's overwhelmed and he's eager to confirm the the condition of his father as he pours himself out to his brothers. But you can imagine that they wouldn't initially be nearly as excited as Joseph was. Number one, just they had to be completely shocked. How is this even possible? Number two, everything that they had done wrong to Joseph in that instant, had to come flooding back to their minds all over again. They're so stunned and even troubled that they can't talk. It says this in verse number 3, And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. It's like when you see, when you tell your children that they can't have a cookie before dinner, and then you hear a noise in the kitchen and you go in there, and their children and your child has their hand reaching up toward that cookie jar, and you look at them and say, what are you doing, son? What are you doing, daughter? Or some of you might say it like this, what are you doing? And they just look at you. They're so stunned, they can't speak, they can't talk, they can't get it out. That's how his brothers are feeling. They are stunned that he's alive, and stunned that he is the one that's in this position of authority and power, 
and that then have, they are reliving all over again the evil that they did to him. But what, what happens next is very revealing about where Joseph is spiritually and emotionally towards his brothers. Notice verse number four. And Joseph said unto his brethren, come near to me, I pray you. It's an amazing picture of how God deals with sinful men. When uh, bitter men or bitter women would have used this opportunity to flaunt their position or to execute some kind of vengeance upon those who had harmed them, Joseph doesn't seek to use the throne. Doesn't, Joseph doesn't seek to use the power. Joseph doesn't seek to use the shock of this moment to get even with his brothers or to manipulate them in any way. Rather, he calls them to come near to him. He gives them access. He gives them the ability to get close to him. He wants them to be close to him. I'm so thankful, like the song says, that Christ receiveth sinful men, that as it's described in the book of Hebrews, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. And Joseph, in that moment when his brothers were stunned and shocked and overwhelmed, he tells them to come near. Again, if I can use another illustration of, about children, you've had those moments if you've been a parent or you've taught or you've worked with children where they know that they're guilty and they're afraid of you. And they're afraid of coming to you. They're afraid of looking you in the face. And you call them to come to you and you tell them to raise up their face and to open their eyes and to look you in their eyes and then you take them in your arms and maybe when they're younger you set them on your lap or as they get older you put your arm around them and you want them to know that you love them and you desire them to be near you and in this moment in chapter 45 in spite of all that his brothers did to him Joseph isn't trying to keep them at arm's length after he has revealed himself to them he is trying to bring them back into a relationship with him he is offering them affirmation. He is offering them comfort. He is helping. He is trying to help them know that He is okay with them and that they can be okay with Him, that they don't need to be afraid. You see, for Joseph, this was never about vengeance. It was always about, for Joseph, it was always about what God was doing in him and through him. So Joseph brings them to him. It says in verse number 4, they came near him, and he said, I am Joseph your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. Now therefore be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither, for God did send me before you to preserve life. He brings them to him. And then he begins to detail to them, even rejoice with them over how God used their treachery to accomplish his purpose. Not just in Joseph's life, but in all of their lives. First of all, he makes this point in verse 5. You were selling me, but God was sending me. In verse 5, we already read it, but he says, he makes this statement, God did send 
me. In verse number 7, we read this statement Joseph makes, God sent me. In verse number 8, so now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. At the end of verse number 7, and God's, or in the middle, God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth. Remember God's promise to Abraham that he would make of him a great nation. And Abraham had a, had a son of promise in his, he and Sarah's old age, Isaac. And then Isaac gave birth to Jacob and Esau. And God's promise would be fulfilled through Jacob. And then Jacob had his 12 sons. And Joseph was a part of that lineage. And no doubt the promise of Abraham had been passed down. And God would use him in a very specific way to fulfill that promise. And he is trying to help his brothers understand in this moment. You were, you, were se- you were selling me. But God was using your treachery to sell me into slavery. He was actually using it to send me. To put me in a position to preserve you. What's amazing about this is that Joseph never lost sight of the fact that God was always in control. Even when he obeyed his father and his brothers kidnapped him. Even when his brothers took him from being kidnapped to selling him into slavery. Even when he was sold into Potiphar's house. Even when he was lied about in Potiphar's house and put into a prison. Even when he was forgotten about in a prison. He trusted and believed that God was always in control. That's why he uses these verbs to describe what God was doing with him. It seemed from the human perspective that Joseph was a victim of circumstances. But God was using these circumstances to bring Joseph to a specific place so that he could be used for a specific purpose. God was always in control. Please know this about God. You're aware of it, but be reminded of it. God is infinitely capable. He was capable of taking the selling of Joseph in order to send Joseph. He was capable of taking the slavery of Joseph and the imprisonment of Joseph in order to position Joseph. And if he is capable of using the circumstances, the difficult, unspeakably difficult circumstances of Joseph to position him, then he can use the circumstances in your life as well. He can make use of events that seem to be pointless or are very painful. He can make use of difficult and challenging and hurtful people. He can make use of impossible and unexplainable tragedies and trials. Now, don't misunderstand this. God didn't cause the sin of Joseph's brothers. He didn't cause the lie of Potiphar's wife. And he didn't cause the forgetfulness of the butler in the prison. But he was able to use those things to accomplish his purpose because he is infinitely capable. He is able to work through and work with any circumstance no matter how difficult or hard it may, it may be. Joseph said to them, you sold me, but God was sending me. The second point is this, and we've already referenced it, you sold me for one purpose. Remember the purpose for which they sold Joseph. The first purpose was to get rid of him. Remember that they initially were going to kill him, and then one of the other brothers said, hey, let's not kill him when we can make some profit off of him. So they sold him, 
to get rid of him, to get him out of their life and to be done with him because they were jealous of the way that he was loved and uh, that he was favored. And so they wanted to remove him from their life. They did not want him being a part of their life or their father's life. Their resentment, their hatred for him was so deep. And so they sell him, but then they use the opportunity of selling him to make a profit off of him as well. That was their purpose. And as soon as they got that money and spent that money, their purpose died. But God's purpose was so much greater than their purpose. They were selling him for one purpose, but God was sending him for another purpose. Look at verse 7. God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the land to save and to save your lives by a great deliverance. He tells them that in verse number 6, the famine has been in the land for a couple of years and there are five more years in which there's going to be no way to sow or to harvest. The famine is so harsh. It's so great. The land is so barren. And you need someone to save you and to provide you sustenance and to rescue you. And that is why God sent me. He sent me through you selling me. He sent me so that I would be in a position to nourish you and to protect you and to provide for you. He talks about how they need to tell his father about his glory. That wasn't bragging. It was simply relating to his father the position to which God had elevated him. He describes himself as a father to Pharaoh. Again, not bragging, but simply stating the influence that God allows him to have over the governance of the nation during that time. And he's, re- he's telling his brothers as they sit there in this stunned, overwhelmed silence, you sold me for a purpose, but God sent me for a different purpose than which you sold me. And he sent me for this purpose And that was to preserve life. But this is amazing. Joseph doesn't just say to preserve life in general. Notice verse number 7. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity. To preserve your life. This is an incredible awareness. Just as God, Joseph was aware, just as God is infinitely capable of working through any circumstance, God is also infinitely generous to people. Joseph's brothers deserve to die. Let's be honest. At the very least, they deserve to rot in prison for a while. At least for as long as Joseph was in bondage. That's what they deserved. But Joseph isn't consumed with bitterness. Rather, he is consumed with the purpose of God. And that purpose of a generous God was to save their life, though they did not deserve it. You see, God, in his infinite capability, is also infinitely generous, and he does good for the undeserving. He does good for the mischievous. He does good to the ill-hearted. He does good on behalf of the malcontent. And nowhere is this demonstrated greater than when Jesus laid his life down and died upon a cross so that we could be saved. God does good for people. And Joseph understood, understood, God did not promote me 
just because I had been through some bad stuff or even because I had been through some bad stuff. God promoted me so that you would have a way of being saved from this famine. They deserve to suffer starvation. But instead, God used their selfish betrayal to bring about their rescue when they were utterly helpless. Joseph understood this about God's work at that moment in his life. He understood that his brother sold him, but God was actually sending him. He understood, and he said, not in these exact words, but this would have been the thought, brothers, you sold me to be a slave, but God sent me to be your Savior. You sold me to be a slave to a band of slave traders, but God sent me to save you in a time of famine when you would be helpless and have no source of rescuing outside of me. What God does or did then, to one degree or another, God is still capable of doing now. In His infinite ability and in His infinite generosity, God allows His people to be sold so that He can use them to save. God can still turn slaves. And and don't misunderstand, I'm not being irreverent here. He can turn slaves into those who help to save. He can use the hurt in our lives to position us to be a help. A couple of stories I want to relate to you. One is the story of someone that, if you don't know about it, would be good for you to know about. In 1849, Harriet Tubman escaped slavery. And she took two of her younger siblings and crossed over into Pennsylvania where slavery was illegal. But she, she didn't use her newfound freedom for her own gain. But rather, as you read about her life, she began using her knowledge and experience to help rescue many other slaves. She even worked for the Union during the Civil War as a spy and a nurse, and she would gather information from behind enemy lines and pass it on to Union generals and commanders who would be able to make good use of it. She was later given a nickname by an abolitionist, and this nickname is a name that we would all recognize from Scripture. Her nickname was Moses. You see, Harriet Tubman went from being a slave to being one who helped to rescue, one who helped to save. She didn't use her hurt, and she didn't use her freedom to be self-indulgent or to justify bitterness or anger but rather she used those lessons and those hardships and allowed them to motivate and help her to bring freedom to the lives of others. Heard the story, and I've heard multiple stories like this, of a man who through different circumstances found himself in prison for an extended period of time. 
And uh, while he was there in prison, uh, a preacher came along and didn't have opportunity to talk to him long, but simply handed him a gospel tract and said, hey, if you ever have a moment, why don't you take a minute to read this? And he took the tract to show some kind of respect, but in his heart, he was skeptical and calloused and thought, no, I'm, th- this is just a waste of time. But then one night in his cell when he couldn't sleep and the conviction of God came upon him, he took out that track and he began to read it and later called upon Jesus to be his Savior. And then as he grew and learned in the faith and eventually was released, he then went on uh, and had continues to lead others to faith in Jesus Christ. Many of his own cellmates and many people now in the life that God has blessed him with He continues to serve the Lord and to lead people to Jesus Christ. The point is this, that God can allow us to be sold sometimes so that He can use us to save. That God can use the hurt in our lives to position us to help. Let me give you some thoughts of application. Number one, God uses the hurt of our own failure to help others. Don't misunderstand, I'm not saying that God wants us to fail, that God wants us to sin, but I'm so thankful that when we do fail and we do sin, God doesn't throw us away. God doesn't throw the clay away as the song says. God doesn't cast us aside. God doesn't get rid of us. He can help us grow through that. And many of you have experienced failure and then you learn from the failure how not to fail again. And you grew stronger in your faith and you grew stronger in your commitment and relationship to the Lord. God can use the hurt of our failure to help us grow. God can use the hurt of our own failure to help others learn. How many parents or how many pastors or how many youth leaders or how many friends and those concerned about the welfare of children and young people and young adults or older couples concerned about younger couples concerned about those entering into relationships or thinking about romance, you, you go back to the mistakes that you made and you tell your children or you tell those you care about, listen, I made some mistakes that made my life difficult, but you can learn from them and you can be helped by this and you can avoid some of these difficulties if you'll simply listen to the wisdom that is being passed down. God can use the hurt of failure to help others learn and avoid, to help others not go through the same mistakes and the same trials that you did. It's a great passion of mine as a dad that my children would learn from the mistakes of their father, both in marriage and as a parent and in daily life that they observe and that they would understand, man, when my dad does make a mistake, I can learn from that and I can learn from it, not in a way, to, not for the purpose of being spiteful or condescending, but I can learn from it for the purpose of not making the same mistakes in my own life. We should desire that when we fail. But God can also use our failure to help others have hope. Aren't you thankful for the forgiveness and the grace of God? Aren't you thankful for the restoring hope of Jesus Christ? And so many times we see someone that has failed 
with immorality or they failed with some kind of vice or addiction or they failed in some kind of relationship or they failed in a response to a situation and they've gone through that grieving and humbling process and they've gone through that brokenness and God has restored them and God has lifted them up and God is using them and they're able to look at those and look to those and go to those who are going through the same failures and to come alongside them and encourage them and help them to know that there is still hope. I have been through the valley of failure before and I want you to know that God will help you if you'll humble yourself before Him just as He has helped me. God can use the hurt of our own failure to help others. But God can use the hurt that is brought into our lives to position us to be a witness. Now this gets lost so many times when we're going through inconveniences, hardships, wrongs, or other difficulties. The Apostle Paul was very aware of this. Paul recognized that when I'm arrested or when I'm falsely accused, my, my primary focus, it's not that he was ignorant of it, he even dealt with it at times, but his primary focus was not on the inconvenience or the injustice of the moment. It was upon his opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so many times when we're struggling or suffering, we fail to even think that maybe God is allowing this in part, so I'll have contact with people that need Jesus, with whom I would have never had contact with without this hardship. I have a friend in ministry who for a long time was traveling with his family in an RV and they prayed that whenever God would let some kind of mechanical thing happen to the, let mechanical failure happen to their RV that he would give them an opportunity to witness to people. And one time they had some kind of mechanical failure it may have been with the tire or something else but the RV broke down and they had to call someone to come and help them, and so the roadside mechanic shows up to help them, and uh, my friend says to him, so either you're not saved or you're not right with God. This is your fault. And he used that. He wasn't mean, but he used that as a way to introduce this. You need to know that God loves you. You need to know that God cares about you. And if I remember correctly, the man was greatly moved by that. And I don't remember the outcome of it. He may have already been saved or he may have gotten saved. But God used that to encourage his faith and to draw him in his relationship with him. So many times when we're going through challenges and difficulties, we fail to consider that there is more going on in this world than just our own comfort and convenience and just what is fair or what we think we deserve that sometimes... God, while He does not approve of the injustices, while He does not cause the sin, but He will use it to put us in a position so that we can be a witness to people with whom we would have otherwise never had contact with. So many of us fail as believers when we're going through different hardships to consider Maybe God let me be sick so I could be a witness to this nurse. Maybe God let my, would use my car messing up so I could be a witness to this mechanic. 
Maybe God let their car mess up so I could stop and help them and then be a witness to them. Maybe God is using these current crazy circumstances to soften people's hearts to their mortality and their need for something that is steadfast and certain when there is so much uncertainty around them. And I need to be ready to be a witness with the gospel. It's not the only purpose, but it is a part of God's purpose. Just as God wanted to bring physical salvation from a famine to Joseph's brothers, He wants to use us to bring eternal salvation in a land of eternal famine to those who are around us. And sometimes He'll use difficulty to position us to be a witness for Him. Sometimes God uses hurt to position position us to be an encouragement. Look at 2 Corinthians, if you would, please. Actually, I wrote down the wrong reference, and so you'll have to look it up later for yourselves. Forgive me for that. But the text talks talks about this, how that God comforts us in our trials so that He can use those experiences to help us comfort others. God can use our hurt to position us to be an encouragement. Here's what I mean by that. Some pain must be experienced to be understood. I've told you the story a few times. I've referenced it. My parents losing their first daughter. She died as she was being born. And it was amazing. My dad will tell you this. My mom will tell you this. It's amazing how the grace of God helped them through that time but then how God used that in them to be a comfort to others who had been through similar circumstances. It's not saying that every pain is the same. It's not. But one of the things we need to be, one of the things we need to be careful of as Christians is telling people that we understand what they're going through when we really don't. And I try, I'm not perfect at it, but I try If I've never been through something like what other people are going through, I try never to say I understand. But there are times when I do. And sometimes God lets you go through things or He will use the things you've been through to help others that are going through similar things. You know, there are some people going through cancer who can be encouraged by those who've been and are going through cancer or other sickness. There are some people who've lost a loved one who can be comforted by someone who has lost a loved one. There are some who've been hurt in abusive relationships who can be encouraged and helped by those who have been hurt and broken in those kinds of relationships. There are those who have suffered in difficult marriages or in hardships who can be helped by those who have gone through those same sufferings. When you understand God's comfort in your own life, 
you can offer that comfort and help others. When you understand God's grace in your own life, you can help others to know that there is hope and grace. When you understand God's help, you can give that same, you can be a conduit for that same help. And then finally, God uses the hurt to teach us and to teach others. Teaches others how to navigate the trials, how to keep living. Teach others how to avoid some of the same losses. Teaches others how to overcome. God can use us being sold to put us in a position to help save. He can use the hurt to put us in a position of helping. Here's the danger. One danger is this. You might be hopeless or skeptical that God is capable of working in your situation. The benefit that we have concerning Joseph is that it's hindsight. It's documented. We're reading about it from a future perspective. And we're able to look back and to know how it all turned out. And so you might have to battle in your own life the hopelessness or the skepticism that your pain and your difficulty could ever be useful to God or to anyone else. You have to remember that God is infinitely capable. A second danger is this, that you become bitter instead of reflecting God's generosity. Just like Joseph did not use the throne to indulge himself. He used his position to bring about salvation from a famine to those who had enslaved him. You've got to make sure that you reflect his generosity in your life and not bitterness at what you've experienced. You are not hopeless because God is infinitely capable. And you need not be bitter because God is infinitely generous. God can allow you or use your hurt to position you to help. God can use us being sold to position us to help save. Would you bow your head for just a moment? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask you to consider a couple of things. Number one, would you answer this question? Right now, I'm, I'm going through difficulties, or I've been through difficulties that are hurting. In this moment, right now, I hurt. And I don't know what the purpose is. I do not understand. My friend, maybe for you this morning, you need to have hope that God is capable of working. Look, God doesn't promise how. God doesn't tell us what it will look like on the other side of the trial, of the tragedy, of the failure. But we know from the truth here and in other places in Scripture that He can use it. So maybe this morning you need hope 
that God can use your hurt to help others. Maybe this morning you'd, you'd say, I'm, I'm hurting and I'm becoming bitter. I'm jealous. I'm resentful. I'm unhappy with where God is allowing me to be right now. My friend, I'm not saying that Joseph wanted to be a slave, that he wanted to be in prison, but nothing about his conduct reflected a bitter or angry spirit. It reflected acceptance, humility, and trust in the generosity and goodness of God. So maybe this morning you need to you need to be reminded that God is generous. And in spite of how I've been hurt, God can use this hurt to help others if I will reflect his spirit of grace and graciousness. And, and then maybe, maybe some of you can rejoice because you, you have seen and are seeing how God has used the challenges and the hurt of the past to bring about help and hope for the future. How God took you from a some kind of quote-unquote slavery to help bring about some level of saving help in the lives of people. But if God has spoken to you this morning, if He's convicted you, if you need to be encouraged, then would you take a moment and respond to Him in prayer? As Brother Nate begins to sing right there in your home, you spend some time calling upon the God who can use your hurt to help others.